My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. As Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answered him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not kill. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. He replied and said to him, Teacher, all of these things I have observed from my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You're lacking in one thing. Go, sell what you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At that statement, his face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, so Jesus again said to them in reply, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for one who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were exceedingly astonished and said among themselves, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For human beings it is impossible, but not for God. All things are possible for God. Peter began to say to him, We have given up everything and followed you. Jesus said, Amen, I say to you, there is no one who has given up house, or brothers or sisters, or mother or father, or children or lands, for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, who will not receive a hundred times more now in this present age. Houses and brothers and sisters, and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and eternal life in the age to come. The gospel of the Lord. Tuesday night, my good friend from college named Fred at 8.17 p.m. sent me this text. Are you watching? Now, I happened to be in the middle of an event with our students, and I laughed when I saw the text come through thinking how there are certain people in certain situations that they literally can drop three words like that with zero context that countless other people would have seen him in Clueless thinking, what's this about? And that even though Fred has moved out of state and our texting back and forth is maybe every couple of months or so, and it was such a random, minimal message, I knew exactly what he was talking about. 
He wanted to know if I was watching the wild card baseball game going on between the New York Yankees and the Boston Red Sox. When Fred and I had graduated from college, we had become season ticket holders for the New York Yankees. Well, partial season. We had tickets to every Friday home game starting in 1998. And 1998 was a, a historic record-breaking year for the Yankees. They won 114 games. So of the 14 or so home games that we went to, I think we saw them lose twice all year. And because we had this ticket plan, we were able to go to one game per round of postseason play that they would play. So that year, we ended up at game one of the World Series when they defeated the San Diego Padres. The following year, in 1999, we were at Game 4, not only when they beat Atlanta Braves in that game, but they won the World Series. And I've never been to something like that where people were just nuts for well over an hour after the game and no one wanted to leave the stadium. In 2000, I think he had back-to-school nights, so he couldn't go to the Subway Series against the Mets, which I brought a crowd favorite from here, Father Bill Sheridan, who's a Met fan which the Yankees won that night, which made it even more enjoyable than seeing the whole World Series win the year before. And somehow we got tickets to game three and five in 2001, weeks after September 11th. So we were there the night George W. Bush threw out the first pitch that night. Along with attending all those games over the years, I had amassed a pretty impressive collection of memorabilia. There were almost a dozen bobbleheads of players that they gave away at the stadium. I remember this one year, they were only giving them to kids 14 and under. I don't know why, like, what's up with that? But seeing a whole bunch of kids who had just gotten in and had them, and they were just standing around, I said, hey, do any one of you want to sell your bobblehead? And this one kid said, I do. So I said, no, how much? He's like, $20. I mean, 10. Like, Obviously, he did not learn the art of negotiation. I'm embarrassed to say I only gave him 10, but anyway. <laughs> Take a deal when you can, right? Friends had given me gifts with autographed baseballs of Derek Jeter and Bernie Williams and my favorite player of the era, Tino Martinez. And for Tino, I not only had the signed baseball, but I also had a signed bat as well. My copy of Yankee Magazine came every month and I kept it in pristine condition and order. So suffice it to say, I was a pretty rabid fan. I was, past tense. And that came as a bit of a shock to Fred when I texted back Tuesday night to him, I haven't seen a game in probably two years. What happened? Well, COVID for one. Last April, during the lockdowns, during shelter at home and two weeks to flatten the curve that turned into months and months and months, like most people, I got a little stir crazy. And so one day I decided I needed to clean all my memorabilia, dust off the, the bobbleheads that had gotten kind of dusty, clean the massive panoramic picture I had of inside the old Yankee Stadium. And as I was wiping and cleaning that massive pick that had been at the exact spot for 10 years, one of the nails holding the picture from the frame came out, the picture fell down, crashed and broke, and knocked the shelf down, decapitating three of my bobbleheads. Joe Torre, Tino Martinez, and Roger Clemens. 
truth be told, I wasn't too upset about the last one, but the first two I was really upset about. But I was really upset. I mean, I think I said crap, um, something along those lines. I know the kids that live upstairs from me heard the crash and probably could give you the exact quote, since I'm pretty sure I didn't whisper that to myself. I was pretty fired up and I was really angry, ridiculously so. A reality that, that clicked when one of the kids asked me a couple hours later, very calmly, but with real compassion and care in his face, Father, what happened? When I saw the look on his face and his legitimate concern, I realized, especially during a pandemic, that my over-the-top reaction when people were sick, when people were dying, when people were struggling with isolation and issues about work and finances was asinine. Worse than asinine, it was ASA 10 or ASA 11. And the more that that clicked, the more I started to kind of evaluate my fandom and was embarrassed about it. How many times, even before Mass was getting ready to start, that I had to run and check the score of the game? How many times had I arranged my schedule around games that I had to watch? And here I had all this stuff, these collectibles that all had special cases and certificates of authenticity, a collection of stuff that up until Tino's smash bobblehead was on the floor, I treated like a curator at a museum as these highly valuable things that were to be looked at but never touched. Now, I sincerely doubt I would have ever said something so objectively stupid and heretical like these things were more important than God. But the reality was they had a far more exalted and important place in my heart and in my life than I realized. And that was the beginning of the end for me. And that's not to say that having collectibles is wrong or being a fan of the Yankees will endanger your soul or that the Red Sox are the spawn of Satan. <laughs> Which is probably not something I would have said a couple years ago. But rather, what is the thing that is hard to imagine letting go of? What is the thing that you've told yourself you can't ever imagine not being part of your life that actually has a grip on your heart and soul that could possibly be just a bit tighter than your devotion and your commitment to God? The rich young man from today's gospel is often misunderstood because some will deliberately use this as a, a launching off point to blast wealth and conclude that money is the root of all evil and that if you want to get to heaven, you'll empty your accounts and just give all of that to the poor. But that's a gross misunderstanding of this. And it's another way where we who aren't wealthy can kind of exempt ourselves from doing some uncomfortable reflections. Because money in itself is not evil. And this rich young man isn't evil either. Look at the journey that brings him to this encounter with Jesus in today's gospel. He recognizes that something is off. Something's missing. He's been following God's law and the, the commandments, which any one of us knows is not easy. He hasn't done that perfectly. No human being, with the exception of Jesus and Mary, would be able to. But he knows what's right and what's wrong, and when he's failed, he's repented, and he asked for God's mercy and forgiveness. So he's tried to live in obedience to what God has already revealed to his people. 
And at some point, this young man has seen and heard Jesus speak and act. He's experienced something in his heart and his soul, and he desires more. He calls Jesus good, which is an acknowledgement that he recognizes Jesus as God. He sees and hears in Jesus the promise and the fulfillment of, of eternal life, which isn't just a place that we hope to go to at the end of time, whether our own end or the end of the world for all humanity, but a loving relationship with Jesus then and there for him or here and now for each of us. So this rich young man, he sees, he hears, and he wants it. And Jesus wants him to have it, but he can't do it. His wealth was the obstacle. He thought about how much he had wanted the things he had purchased and the wealth he had acquired. He was remembering what it took to accumulate and all the sacrifices he made for it. And he couldn't imagine life without it. He couldn't let go of the very thing that even though moments earlier he realized wasn't fulfilling that deepest desire within himself as he comes face to face with Jesus who could. He saw the wealth he possessed as a sure thing. And tragically, at least in this moment, he puts more faith and trust in that wealth than in the Lord, who is offering him peace and a freedom and a joy greater than he ever imagined or experienced. In the last few weeks, the, the gospel readings at Sunday Mass have been upping the ante considerably. We heard about the centrality of the cross in terms of following Jesus. We heard Jesus tell us that when we're aware of sin in our lives, we have to take it seriously. We have to be vigilant to the point that he used hyperbolic examples like cutting off hands and feet and plucking out eyes before allowing to in any way align ourselves with sin. And last week, Jesus pointed out we can't be cute and try to look for a loophole or a compromise when it comes to God's law, to allow ourselves to somehow excuse ourselves from the challenge that they pose when we in our humanity just want to do what we want. And that leads us to today and gets to the heart of things. God doesn't want us to follow his law to prove our goodness. He gave us his law for our own good. And he's not asking this rich young man to give up his wealth as some sort of a, a proof or a test as to whether God is truly at the center of his life. He's showing this guy what's already at the center, that his wealth has become his God, and he will not forsake or make any compromises with regards to it. What is it for us? What are the things that have taken up a more exalted position in my life than I ever realized? What is the show that you cannot ever think of missing? And if by chance your DVR didn't get it, you start searching on Google to find out if it's going to re-air or there's some site that you can go watch it. But when it comes to Sunday Mass, we can become way too casual about things if something suddenly comes up. How many hours of overtime are we willing to put into that job without even a second thought but we somehow dismiss waking up 15 minutes early to pray, to, to say a rosary. 
How quickly do we blow $20 purchasing something that we saw on Amazon that we just have to have because it's offering something that we really want in that moment. But when it comes to offering something for someone in need, we become very budget conscious. What are the podcasts that instantly download that we allow ourselves to, to fill our ears and spirits on a regular basis, but that Bible in the Year podcast we started listening to in January has stopped even downloading on our queue. What is the thing or the things we're holding on to that's become a little bit more important than maybe it should be? As I held in my hands a few weeks ago, what I had referred to at one time as one of my prized possessions, the signed Tina Martinez baseball bat, it hit me, why do I have this? If Tina Martinez bumped into me on the street, he would not know my name. He would have no idea who I was. He probably couldn't have cared less that I had something that he signed on my wall or even how much I spent to get it. And when that clicked, I knew I had to get rid of it, which I did. I sold for a mere fraction of the cost that it took to purchase it on eBay. And not because it was something evil in itself, but because it reminded me of some attitudes and behaviors and feelings that I was embarrassed about. Because Jesus knows me intimately. He knows me inside and out. He knows my name. He knows my strengths. He knows my successes. He knows my best moments. He knows my sins. He knows my failures and weaknesses, my insecurities and fears. And he not only knows me, he loves me in the truest sense of the word, that he suffered and died on the cross for me. And the same is true for each and every one of you. He knows you. He knows you inside and out. He knows the best and worst things about you, and he loves you. He loves you enough to suffer and die on the cross for you. May that truth penetrate each of our hearts so that we can truly see who or what might be distracting or obscuring or making him the center of our lives. May we respond to his grace that will help loosen whatever it is that we're gripping onto right now and just let go so that we can cling to him and him alone.